This is Toledo Symphony Lab, a behind-the-scenes look at the world of classical music from WGTE Public Media and your Toledo Symphony. I'm Brad Cresswell. Joining me today are the Toledo Symphony's president and CEO, Zach Vassar, principal second violin and artistic administrator, Merwin Sue, and back in the chair again, the TSO's marketing director, Felicia Canny. Welcome to everybody today. Good afternoon. Thank you. Now, we are taking as a point of departure for this episode, the Mozart effect. And that's something that a lot of people have heard of. Uh, The idea being that you listen to Mozart, you feel better, you do better on uh, test scores, that kind of thing. It sort of helps your thought process. It all goes back to a study that happened... I don't know exactly. Early 1990s. Early 1990s. That sounds right. I want to preface this entire discussion with the fact that none of us are, you know, professionals. Nobody should take anything that we say (laughs) as as scientifically. Stop listening right now. Scientific. (laughs) Actually, it was not the mid-90s. It's all anecdotal. (laughs) Everything we say today is all anecdotal evidence, so we take no responsibility whatsoever. (laughs) Every time we say Mozart effects, it's. In air quotes. So. <laughs> in yeah. air quotes. <laughs> the, the Mozart effect. I you mean, know, Mozart like, had many effects, yeah. let's be honest. Anyway, Felicia, you're the one that has had the most, most recently had a child, right? Yes. So you, you have By a like newborn baby months. at home. Yeah. <laughs> and why, why don't you give us, give us a little primer on Mozart effect, what you know of it? Well, I know the study was done uh, like 1993, but it wasn't, um, when I think of Mozart effect, I think of babies. But it was a study done on college students, and they had uh, different groups, and the one group listened to uh, the Mozart uh, Piano Sonata K448, and uh, another group listened to like a relaxation tape or something like that, and um, the third group listened to silence, nothing. And uh, following um, like a 10-minute listening exercise, they had to do uh, some, like, well, I guess an equivalent to, like, reasoning, an, yeah. yeah, some sort of reasoning test. And the the group that listened to the Mozart Piano Sonata marginally performed better. <laughs> yeah. And that, I think that was uh, my... And the effect lasted for like 10 minutes as well. It lasted for about the same amount of time that they listened to the piece. And then from that on, it kind of blew up into something that became a household name. Okay. And everyone... Well, here's an experiment for everybody at home. (laughs) I'm going to play a little bit of that piano sonata. Let's just listen to it and see if we feel smarter. Okay, here we go. Okay, so we got 30 seconds of that, which means we should be smarter for the next 30 seconds. So quickly, let, let's <laughs> quickly. see if we can... The answer is Idaho. If, if, we, can, if we can test how, if we got smarter or not. Merwin, well, do you I, feel smarter? I definitely feel smarter. I think yeah. that... Give us an example of how smart you are. Well, he's a genius, so <laughs> that's not fair. That's right. I think that one of the one of the things that happens when you're listening to something like this is... You're, you're running out of time, by the way. You're trying to think... It's going to wear off. Faster, faster. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Come on. Uh, oh, no. no, it's, no. it's gone. It's now gone. he's dumb again. He's dumb again. Do <laughs> <laughs> you remember that I movie? Did, I didn't expect <laughs> this to be this competitive. 
Remember, you remember that movie about? I think the story was called Flowers for Algernon. Oh yeah, and, yeah. and it was yeah. Uh, Charlie. Was they made yeah. a new movie called Charlie about the the uh, mentally challenged. Uh, he was a janitor or something mm-hmm. like that, and they did an experiment on him. He became a, a world famous genius, and then he lost it again. Mm-hmm. We sort of just witnessed a miniature version of that right here in the studio. Except, I think it was active like sabotage <laughs> as opposed to an. I, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. So what were you going to say? Well, I think <laughs> obviously but he can't can remember. You, I mean, remember. this is how this podcast I always works. His speech <laughs> is getting a little slurred now, and yeah, That's just your the eyes Daniels. are kind of glazing over. We need more Mozart. Well, when you're listening to the piece, Drink it. I think it's a little bit different because <laughs> liquid Mozart, perfect <laughs> Mozart. I'm so sorry, Merwin. No one does that. Wait, I don't want to have liquid Mozart. I'm sorry. Like we that just does not sound appetizing. It also known as like no, it's like an elixir. It's like a you know, Sweeney Todd's like, magical like elixir. A marinade. It's also, <laughs> also known as uh, chocolate schnapps. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Do you need to hear the Mozart again, or can you remember what you wanted to say? I'm gonna try to fight through the noise, the slug. <laughs> We need to hear it again. <laughs> Background music. Oh, okay. Here we go. Oh. This is all we need of is a little beat. Well, right. I think that's actually a really good segue into what I was going to talk about because when you're listening to the Mozart sonata, what you're trying to do is to organize this into actual beat patterns and you think, okay, where does the beat fall? Okay, here's where the beat falls. Oh, wait, it's three beats per measure. It's a triple, me- it's a triple meter and it's not an automatic compared to listening to other forms of music where the beat pattern is very obviously pointed out to you. Okay, I think set. I've invented like something that. new. And, and and after listening to Merwin speak for 30 seconds, I feel much stupider. And we're going to call it the Merwin effect. This is why I'm a famous teacher. Yeah. There's the Mozart effect and there's the Merwin effect. And you can't have one without the other. I'll, I'll say, though, I, I, I've always taken issue with this study because of the way it was designed. It, it's not purely a Mozart effect. It's an effect right. of... Um, it's a music effect. Yeah, it's a music effect, and it's it's a, it's a classical music effect versus uh, relaxation music, which is you know usually a lot uh, less linear, um, more atmospheric, and silence, which is an absence of music. So um, I, I agree that there's something about classical music that has you know or, organization and order to it. For you know, apologies because I know that someone's going to call in and explain all the things that don't fall in that classification. If they but, do, I'll send them your way. <laughs> thank you. Uh, but, uh, but you know, it, it, it could just as easily have been a Bach effect or a Brahms effect. Yeah. And, and indeed, when they were coming out with these Mozart effect CDs, uh, they were all, you know, marketed with that brand name on it. Um, it wasn't very long after that that you know, Phillips started having, you know, WC for daydreaming and uh, Brahms for bedtime, all of these ways to inject a little bit of um, (laughs) classical music into your life. See how easy it is to not interrupt somebody else. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, were you trying to not interrupt us? I thought you left the room, honestly. (laughs) That's called the Vassar effect, right? (laughs) (laughs) When people, when you feel like people are leaving the room while you're speaking. (laughs) Oh, Hey, Merwin, I think we're going to have to have a long talk. <laughs> so, Felicia, if if there were going to be an effect named after you, what would it be? 
Oh, the music stopped. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Now who's on the hot seat? I stopped the music. <laughs> no, I don't know. That's that. There it is, the Felicia effect. <laughs> you have the power to stop music. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's yeah. a mic yeah. drop. Well, I'm going back to the the topic, <laughs> and I think the the question is not the Mozart effect. They were trying to prove that music makes you smarter, right? Yeah. But um, I've been doing it for years and it hasn't worked. I have to oh. say. <laughs> and I don't think the the, uh, the people who um, did the study. You know, claimed that Mozart made you smarter necessarily. Right. It was just well, it was what it was. It, it, they just you know they did better on some tests mm-hmm. for the ten minutes or what have you. But then this was picked up. They started getting you know like different um, news shows and organizations that wanted to do a story on them. But of course, they had an agenda. They were going to blow this thing up, and they were going to make. And then the marketing people got a hold of it, and <laughs> you know, Baby Einstein, all the Mozart and Bach CDs, and all this stuff. The Mozart effect became a cottage industry. <laughs> and I think that happens to a lot of things in the world that we don't necessarily even think about. But in this case, it. it it was a big boon to classical music. I mean, mm-hmm. we have to say that, you know, looking at it from a completely um, biased standpoint, it was great. <laughs> it was great for us, right? Well, I think it gave people um, a, a new utility for, for classical music um, at a time when audiences were probably starting to back away from it. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, there was just a study released last week which showed that... Um, you know, we, we think of, or we, we speak about classical music as relaxation too much when we're talking about come to the symphony, relax with us, escape with us. Yeah. And, and I think Toledo Symphony is guilty of that just a little bit. I think we've we've taken a different attack, but many orchestras around the country are, are using that kind of communication to bring audiences in. It's not an IQ argument. It's a get away from your screen and listen to something beautiful. And... Um, you know, I think we're constantly trying to repackage this industry because we're afraid that it's going to lose relevance. But um, the music stands for itself. I just want to say that everybody stayed in the room while Zach was talking. That was great. We negated the Vassar effect. I'm wow. sorry, I wasn't listening. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and you but, know what the best part is? I deserve all of this. Yeah. But this whole idea of classical music has to be marketed as relaxing. And you see it a lot on compilation yeah. CDs. They release albums, you know, the most relaxing classical music <laughs> well, in the world. And, and, and there's another one, which is a follow-up to it, which is, and I am interrupting you, Brad. That's okay. Uh, which is the, the ultimate most relaxing classical music album in the world. So yeah. they, they just get more superlative with the title. And They're like, how? And, can we do better? I got it. <laughs> let's let's make it the Ultimate. most. You know about Elizabeth Taylor, her conjugations of the word best? There's like best, better, and bested. <laughs> oh. Have you heard that? No, no I haven't. Yeah. I don't think I made that up. I think that's the Crestfall effect yeah. and, uh, and a, <laughs> an allusion to something that we didn't actually understand. Yeah, and that may or may not be real. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, this whole idea of relaxing music, I think you really hit on something, Zach, that we should address. In music programming and, and on the radio, You know, there were studies done in the early 2000s where listeners said that the number one reason they listen to classical music on the radio is to relax, is mm-hmm. to chill out. And all the record companies jumped on that, as sure. we just said, you know, with their most ultimate relaxing classical music in the world. Then they got onto, you know, relaxing adagios. Sure. And it's all slow, boring mm-hmm. music, basically. <laughs> the slower, the more boring, the better. What would it be if we said, instead of relaxation, passionate? 
Yeah. yeah. Well, like, different people listen would, for different yeah, reasons. I think one of the things that's scary is when you try to tell people what they're supposed to feel about a particular piece. And right. I think when you market, you know, something that is like hundreds of years of music with so many different composer intentions and try to brand it with a single adjective, mm -hmm. that's extremely reductive. And then you end up like, you know, at a dentist chair or on, on a massage <laughs> table listening to what's purported to be a relaxing piece of music. And it's like the last movement of Beethoven seventh. And then if somebody's listening to that and trying to be relaxed, it's not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, but, but this is the folly of playlisting our culture. And it's now easier than ever to put together uh, a playlist. Uh, 15 years ago, right. you had to make a, a mixed uh, mix CD or mixed tape. Um, but now you can just drag and drop tracks into a playlist that can orient on a theme, a performer, an era. Um, but it's the, the, the way we think about music is it helps me study. It helps me wake up in the morning. It's the kind of music I want to listen to in the middle of the day. Every radio station, uh, commercial or otherwise, is, has different time blocks that they try to fill with like programming, um, one of the things I'll applaud you for is your your shuffle. Yeah, I think it's one of the most interesting things because they're always very different, Brad. Yeah, and um, always one at least one new discovery. Play little, uh, three little tunes back to back, one o'clock and three o'clock every weekday afternoon here on FM eighty one. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case people were wondering what it was you're talking about, but I, I want to address one of the things you said. This idea of playlists and people creating their own playlists. Mm -hmm. You know, that's great if you want to hear songs that are, you know, and some internet radio stations do this or services, they say you want more like this, mm -hmm. more like that. Right. So you've got this sort of you know, playlist that all sounds the same because right. it's something that you happen to like at that moment. That's fine. That's great. But when you're talking about classical music, you're also you're talking about such a rich history, such mm -hmm. a variation of types of music and kinds of music, such a huge selection to choose from that you're really missing out if you say I want everything to sound like, you know, Albanoni Adagio or mm -hmm. Vivaldi Four Seasons and you get a bunch of generic sure. which basically, you know, I hate to say it, but it's true, it sounds like a lot of classical music radio mm -hmm. um, these days. But think of, it, it's the same kind of algorithms that uh, companies, you know, streaming video companies use when they want to provide you with suggestions of what to watch next. Mm -hmm. You've got all of these different shows that you can watch. You turn on cable and you've got, you know, 100 different channels. Well, in classical music, you turn on the classical music cable and you've got hundreds of thousands of choices because we're talking centuries of music. So it's one of the few, I think, um, media ventures that still requires somebody to sort of help take you on a tour, mm -hmm. give you an idea of what's available. It really requires the, the human one-on-one -on -one touch, which is why I enjoy being in classical radio. I had a, a client who will remain nameless. It was a, an orchestra uh, before I came to Toledo Symphony. And, and they had gone so far as to take all of the pieces of music that they had performed and associate it with the attendance that it achieved. And they assumed that you know, if you correct for a lot of variables that, yeah, there are probably two or three other things on the program that might be driving that attendance up or down, um, they would, over a systematic um, 20 or 30-year period, uh, correct for that error and be able to say, if we program these pieces, we'll get larger audiences. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like a really smart idea. And if you're going to use that well, you're going to go in there and you're going to take the top 10 pieces and put that on your program next year, and you're going to get really good attendance. 
theoretically. But then you're going to feed this the same data back into the database so that the year after that, it's going to come up with the same answer. Play the same 10 pieces. Right. And you'll not have the same attendance, theoretically. Um, and that if you did that same programming for 10 years, you would probably not have any audience, right? So I get concerned that we think of, of classical music hits or top 100 way too much. And it's something that we try to caution ourselves from in, mm-hmm. in programming because it, um, you know, in creating a program, it's like a little playlist. But Elaine and you, maybe it's your metaphor, talk about it as building a meal. Mm-hmm. Talking to Merwin. Yeah. 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 Um, which I think is a much better way to think of it. And honestly, Brad, this might go into some of your programming decisions too. Yeah. Um, so uh, I want to, here's a little anecdote which will segue us into the quiz of the day. In 2010, there was a huge study published that looked at all of these different studies that had to do with the Mozart effect. And they basically said, the Mozart effect is not real, mm-hmm. right? It's not real as people think it is real. And they called the paper that they published Mozart effect, Schmozart effect, <laughs> literally. <laughs> That's what they called the paper, okay? So I have a quiz, which I'm calling Prodigy Smodigy uh, for us today. <laughs> I'm going to read you little descriptions of uh, various child prodigies. You tell me if they are a real person or if they are a fictional person, and if you can identify who they are, you get extra credit. I will identify one or two of these as we go along. You tell me if it's true or false. Let's start with this. Oh, first of all, well, I'm I'm, I'm tempted to play the Mozart again just so we can like up that, our. Yes. Yeah, it really would help here's our what I'll performance do. here, Brad. Here, I'll put this in the background. Performance enhancing music. Here we go. <laughs> there. I mean, that's Mozart. Mm-hmm. We know the Mozart effect doesn't work anyway, so here we go. <laughs> this person became a famous pianist while still a child and toured Europe with their father. They were also an acclaimed composer at an early age. They've had a substantial number of books written and films made about their life. And they have an effect named after them? Nope. They were also idolized by their much more famous younger brother. Ah, Nenerl? That's right. Mozart's Maria Anna Mozart, who was the older sister, had to give up her career at age 18 because it was unseemly for a young lady to be a famous pianist and composer. Although we don't have any of her music, it has not survived. <laughs> but we know about it, though. Okay. This person sang in the youth choir and mastered piano, guitar, and drums at an early age. He plays 15 different instruments and is a famous rap artist. We know him as Flavor Flav. Is that true or false? That's so funny because I thought you were talking about Justin Bieber. <laughs> Canadian. Just going back to Canadians. But, you know, Justin Bieber actually a Guys, very 50, good... 50 tr- chance he here. Have, I think he plays a lot of instruments or something like true that. True or right? false? So I'm going to go false. False. It's actually true. Ah. At least he says it's true. We, we don't know for sure, but that's what he <laughs> check, says. Check. He has a wonder... It was one of Kimberly's favorite reality shows was Flavor Flav- yeah. of Love. Yeah. I, I used should've, to watch that I show. <laughs> okay, next one. This person earned a perfect score on the SAT at the age of six, completed high school in nine weeks at the age of nine, graduated from Princeton University in 1983 at age 10, and finished medical school four years later at age 14. They became the youngest licensed doctor in history. Is this a TV <gasps> True show? True or false? Doogie, Doogie Howser. <laughs> I love right. it. When you said a perfect score on the SAT, I said, well, th- I know where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So far, you guys are, are doing pretty well. Here's it's the next because one. because of the music. This prodigy was speaking at seven months and solving math problems at 14 months. Merwin. 
<laughs> okay, you got it. No. <laughs> they decided to become a vegetarian at the age of two. Oh, no, we never mind. <laughs> they, they were lecturing on photosynthesis at the age of five. They graduated so from cute. high school at 10, and they were first nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize at age 12. They've actually been nominated twice for the Nobel Peace Prize. Is this a real person or not? It seems reasonable, but I don't know who it is. It's a real person. Yay! His name is Gregory Smith, and he's become a motivational oh, speaker. Yeah, yeah, Greg Smith, right? Yeah, okay. Well, fairly Just common. Just think about how many Greg Smiths <laughs> there are. Yeah. There's actually a composer. Greg maybe, Smith. well, yeah. you know, oh, really? maybe yeah. maybe it's a you know a compilation. Only one of them graduated high school at ten. The other <laughs> one got. This is so what happens when you make out. playlists. Yeah. Yeah. It evens out all the Greg okay. Smiths. At age five and a half, this child prodigy was knocking off double-digit multiplication problems and blitz-reading Dickens at an early age. Even though they were not appreciated by their deadbeat parents, they managed to eventually emancipate themselves. Is that a real person or a fictional prodigy? No answers? Radio silence. Nobody knows? Okay. That is a, whoa, that's a loud buzzer. That is a a fictional person. That is uh, Matilda. Have you ever read or seen Matilda? (laughs) Matilda Wormwood? I was not going there, Uh, but yes. Chocolate cake. (laughs) Sleep baking. This person was a child prodigy with an IQ of 167. He was admitted, oh, they were admitted into Harvard at the age of 16 and became the youngest ever assistant professor of mathematics at the University of California, Berkeley. Was this, um, I'll, I'll give you another hint. They also murdered three people. <laughs> I'm going to withdraw my earlier statement then. Uh, true or false, first of all? That sounds very people. true. Yeah. Yay! It's an actual person. Any any ideas as to who it was? They? Well, well he. I said he, yeah. and then I changed it to they. I tried to keep these gender neutral, but oh, okay. I failed mm. on that one. This was uh, Ted Kaczynski. You know, oh, that wow. Was, right? <laughs> the Unabomber. I was totally wow. going to guess that. Yeah, oh. definitely uh, Yay! for that. <laughs> wow. I know, that's kind of morose, but that's okay. Well, the music helps. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, all of a sudden this felt very clockwork nice orange. Orange. Yeah. <laughs> orange, yes. Everything is better with Mozart, that's right? right? <laughs> okay. This child was playing four-hand piano arrangements alongside their father at age five. They started composing at age seven, and by 11 had written a famous ballet. Their first opera came at age 21 and made them famous across, across Europe. Who would that be? This was also a prodigy whose name was Wolfgang. Eric Wolfgang Korngold? That's right. Yay! Wow. This wealthy tech guru made his first circuit board at age six, his first engine, a V8, at age eight, and he graduated summa cum laude from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology at age 17. Does that sound like a real person or a fake prodigy? Seems totally reasonable. I feel like you can't make these up. (laughs) No, this is not a real person. Any ideas who it is? Is this one of your alternate history people? No. (laughs) But Merwin, you should know. Because I know all Canadians. Is this is <laughs> no, you know all the no. Avengers. Oh, this is Tony this Stark. Ah. Tony Stark. Iron Man. Iron Man. Yeah. Okay. Know. When this person <laughs> wait, Iron Man's not real. 
He's not even made out of iron. When this person was eight months old, they smiled at their father's violin playing, but winced in pain whenever dad hit the wrong note. They asked for a violin at age three and made their public debut at age five. And while still a teenager, they played Carnegie Hall and became famous. Is this a real violinist? Merwin, pressure's on you. A real person or not? This isn't the fiddler from the DC Comics <laughs> universe, is it? No, no, that's not the fiddler. Oh, it seems wholly, wholly possible. I just don't know which. Yeah! I mean, th- that, it's that a real person. Any one be? of these. Uh, so Carnegie Hall is. Initials are JH. Yasha Heifetz. Yeah! Wow. Merwin, Zach beat you to the punch on that one. Absolutely. Yeah. That's because I interrupted him. Okay. <laughs> This person, the child of a coal miner, was a dance prodigy at age 11. Their career was almost derailed, however, when they got into a fight at their audition for the Royal Ballet School. Despite that, they were accepted, and a few years later, they were the star of London's longest-running ballet, a version of Swan Lake. Does that sound like a real person or a Uh, non-real person? This is from a movie, isn't it? Yeah. Well, what movie are you thinking? It's not a real person. It is. This is your black no, it's, it's <laughs> Billy Elliot. Oh. Billy Elliot. So okay. similar. <laughs> so similar. So we're almost out of time, but before we go, let's quickly take the temperature around the room and tell us what's on your uh, baby listening playlist because you all have young children; they all listen to music. Uh, we'll start with you, Felicia. What's on your playlist? Uh, definitely the Mozart Sonata Number no. Eleven in A Major. Yeah. But is that the Turkish first... one, or, or has a the, yeah, the first yeah. movement, though, because it has the theme and variations, okay. and it goes back so you, from major minor. You don't like the minor. Turkish one, right? Well, it was, uh, we didn't know what this was for a long time because it was on our baby swing, uh, and it um, took us probably a few months to figure it out, and then we found the sheet music and we, like, yeah. confirmed it. Nice. <laughs> Zach, what's on your baby playlist? Uh, so for both of my girls, I played the Brahms lullaby a lot when they were yeah. in utero, and then... Um, after they were born, uh, simply because I really hope that someday down the road um, they associate great comfort and uh, and happiness with it from a subliminal level. That's all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Merwin. It's funny because Kai and Matthias had very different playlists. Um, Kai's my six-year-old, and when during a period of an insomnia for both of us, <laughs> I was singing a song about... You needed some of that relaxing yeah. classical music. Well, I was, I was just... Singing is, I have always called him Pumpkin Boy. And and so I was singing this song, like, Who, Who's My Darling Little Pumpkin Boy? And I and I pulled the first classical melody that I could out of my head. And it turned, it's, it ended up being from the Emperor Quartet from Haydn. Um, so, 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 and that, that movement is like now, like the, it used to be the Austrian national anthem. Now it's the German national anthem. And it's like I imbued yeah. my poor kid with like, Austro-German nationalism at a very young age. Um, how's that working out for you? Yeah, so far so good. <laughs> um, how's it go again? That theme. It. Who's my darling little pumpkin boy? You are cute and big and round. You know what? It, it's weird, but it sounds like you're auto-tuned, and I know that you're not. <laughs> we don't, it's what yeah. a cold will ha- will do to you. <laughs> it's amazing. And then. I like that. Um, Matthias is a sucker for triple meter, and so it's always it's always. Oh waltzes. yeah, you know it's helpful. <laughs> it's always waltzes. Um, it's very he likes, helpful. Um, uh, everything from Blue Danube waltz to Tchaikovsky Serenade for strings. Um, mm-hmm. Not couple Nutcracker things. Waltz of the Flowers, mm-hmm. the final waltz, and 
he, and he really, really likes um, Leroy Anderson's Waltzing Cat. Do you dance around? Yes. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that about does it for this episode of Toledo Symphony Lab. This program is a production of WGTE Public Media in collaboration with our sponsor, the Toledo Symphony. You can download episodes of this program as a podcast by going to our website. That's wgte.org lab. You can also subscribe to us through your podcast app of choice, including Apple and Google Podcasts. And remember, you can check out all the upcoming events at the Symphony by visiting their website at toledosymphony.com. My thanks to Zach Vassar, Merwin Sue, and Felicia Canny for joining me today. I'm Brad Cresswell. You've been listening to Toledo Symphony Lab here on FM 91.